You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. You're listening to the best of the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Meow. It's Michelle Meow. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome to Wednesday, August 12th. It is hump day. And uh, I guess in the uh, internet world, uh, or at least to young people who do things like load up pictures to hashtags, it's, what is it again, Jax? What does WCW stand for? This is a test. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, Woman Crush Wednesdays. Correct. Right? Yes? Maybe just one Wednesday. Woman Crush Wednesday. Oh, oh, yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> Singular. <laughs> Hashtag Woman Crush Wednesday. So, uh, I, I don't know. Do you participate every Wednesday? Um, not every Wednesday. I have done it because <laughs> my girlfriend's like, well, why don't you do a picture of me with that? I'm like, okay, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> so who have you posted pictures of? My girlfriend. That's it for 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 Wednesday for Woman Crush Wednesday. Yes, that's it. You, can, I mean, are you allowed to post pictures of other women? Yeah, like a celebrity or something. Not oh. like your actual other crush. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and here's this other person I kind of like. Yeah, look at this stranger. Um, that's funny. All right. Well, for those who are posting, I mean, uh, I, I, it, that's fun. Great. Congratulations. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, I'm delirious a little bit. I went to bed at 1 o'clock. I woke up at 5. And, you know, it's just been kind of one of those days. So I'm definitely excited for the weekend. Uh, out on uh, gay news, I guess, if you're following news at all, I wanted to share this with you, Jax. Kristen Stewart, you know, is, kind of, is, 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 is I guess, she came out somewhere or somehow. I don't know. On The Advocate has reported that uh, to Nylon Magazine... You know, she just was like, uh, Google me when asked about her sexuality. (laughs) (laughs) So she said, duh. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you think that Robert Pattinson was just a lesbian stuck in a man's body then, uh, I guess, all this time? Uses a gateway to <laughs> much better things. I don't know. I don't know why we we care so much, but I, I hope that Kristen is happy with her assistant girlfriend. We, we care because she's so cute. <laughs> yes, I guess so. I guess so. There, there are some things that she wears that I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, I would like those pants, but then some things I'm just like, that's just way too cool for me. Well, in real Giga news, Right Wing Watch has reported that Linda Harvey of Mission America thinks that the Equality Act, which we talked about just a couple days ago with Jillian Weiss. Well, uh, this is her quote, essentially wipe out free speech and religious liberty on the issues of homosexuality and gender change. (laughs) I mean, where did these people come up with these things and who listens to them, right? I mean, she goes on to to say that non-discrimination bills like the Equality Act uh, threatens to silence believers and essentially wipe out free speech and religious liberty on the issues of homosexuality and gender change. I mean, I'm, I'm just so tired of these people who are using religion as like a weapon like that. You know, you, I'm, I, God is no longer somebody's faith and uh, belief in, you know, or, or it's like an attack on your spiritual side is what I consider it as like this isn't even stuff that, you know, this is stuff that people are just making up. 
I agree when you say you're just tired of it. Like when you're reading that quote, I was like, God, another one? Like, and when she's saying, oh, we won't be silenced. It's like, we know. We know you aren't going to stop. We get yeah. it. They'll talk to anybody. I bet you if I called them and, you know, said, hey, come on the show. Let's talk about God and religious liberty and, and gay people tell me how horrible I am. They'll be like, yeah, that sounds like a great program. Uh, anyway, so that's a great segue to start our program today. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So speaking of the Equality Act and the next fight for the LGBTQ community, we should turn our attention to Houston, Texas today. For a little over a year now, Houston has been involved in a pretty controversial fight over equal rights and LGBTQ rights. The non-discrimination ordinance titled Houston Equal Rights Ordinance was adopted in May of 2014, but anti-LGBT organizations quickly organized to collect signatures so that they could put up a ballot measure to repeal the ordinance. Uh, However, Houston City Attorney Dave Feldman disqualified the efforts by determining that many or a lot of the signatures were invalid, which I find common in a lot of these efforts across the country. But, you know, the story doesn't end there. Um, Later, a Texas Supreme Court ordered Houston to either repeal the ordinance or put up a uh, public vote on this matter coming up in November. So here with us today to discuss what's happening in Houston is Carlos Matza, who is the LGBT program director for Media Matters, and he's been covering this issue. Carlos, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. So let's talk about, you know, how Houston adopted this ordinance to begin with. It sounds like the city didn't actually have a non-discrimination ordinance covering or extending to sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah, Houston's actually one of the the biggest cities in the country that doesn't have a law like this. It's kind of weird how behind the times they are. Most big cities in the country had had for a while um, just really broad non-discrimination laws. Uh, So Houston last year tried to pass one that covered not just sexual orientation and gender identity, but also things like race, sex, disability status, veteran status, familial status. It's 15 classes of categories uh, of characteristics total that are protected by HERO, and it's really, really long overdue. Um, And it was sort of championed by Anise Parker, who's the mayor there. Um, She made it a big part of her agenda, and um, they were successful in getting it passed to the city council. Unfortunately, it's just been bogged down in opposition um, since the debate began last year. Now, I mean, let's, uh, for those who don't know, but Mayor Anise Parker is, in fact, uh, part of our community, the LGBTQ community, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's not that... Oh, all the conservatives actually were campaigning against her because of, I mean, when she was running for that seat, uh, the, the anti-gay campaigning was really, really out of control, and a lot of that has boiled over into this fight over the non-discrimination ordinance, unfortunately. And, and, and I bring that up because it's like, you know, Houston elected a lesbian mayor. I mean, you know, it's not that it's uh, so back in the days. I mean, there's there's some progress that's being made here in the city. But what what's the argument from anti-LGBT groups or groups who are opposing HERO? Yeah, the, the weird thing about the fight in Houston, and this is sort of true for all non-discrimination fights, is that the law itself is actually kind of popular, and majority of people in Texas support non-discrimination laws. Majority of people in the country think that we already have a federal non-discrimination law, um, even though we don't. People generally are down with the idea that you shouldn't be able to fire someone or kick them out of their home or refuse to service them because they're gay or, or LGBT. Um, the argument against it is twofold. One, there's this like myth that uh, it violates religious freedom, even though the law itself prohibits religious discrimination, and uh, religious organizations are exempt from the law. 
Um, and in every state and city that has a law like this, people are able to obviously still express their beliefs and carry out their beliefs. Churches are not forced to hire anyone they don't want to. Churches aren't forced to marry gay people. Um, that talking point about religious freedom has been just debunked in every city and state that has this law before. The real argument, though, and the reason that um, when these things go to the ballot, we end up losing most of the time is because conservatives claim that a non-discrimination law that protects trans people will allow sexual predators to dress up as women and sneak into women's public restrooms. And I know that sounds to you and me really, really dumb, and it's something that has never, ever been true, but in public in like ballot initiatives and, and voter campaigns, that talking point is actually really, really crazy effective at getting voters to either get scared or not want to support LGBT equality. People who would otherwise probably vote for hero will likely vote against it or at least stay home because they're afraid of this bathroom talking point, which has been debunked by experts across the country for years and years and years, but the, the thought of it is so scary to people that a lot of times voters will end up not turning out the vote because of that talking point. Now, this is the uh, scary part, actually. I mean, I think that uh, we should just call it for what it is. I mean, these uh, organizations and people like Linda Harvey and, uh, you know, all these conservatives uh, who oppose, you know, non-discrimination bills like this are using scare tactics. And it's fear mongering. Like, uh, you know, they're using these exaggerated, uh, you know, situations like sexual predators in the bathroom to get you to not vote, you know, for a, a, a discrimination bill like this. I mean, how do we, how do, how do we, uh, I guess, how do we fight them? How do we turn the uh, argument around? So I think one, one step of that process is something that we do here at Media Matters, which is just to, make sure that when media outlets talk about the fight over laws like Hero, that they're holding opponents accountable and actually asking for evidence and asking for proof of any of these talking points. It's really a bad situation when a media outlet hears a talking point and just repeats it and says something like, some say X, Y, Z will happen and doesn't actually do the work of journalism and the work of debunking it. That's problematic because then voters end up not knowing if that talking point is true or false and they end up getting scared and deciding not to vote. Um, so one step is to encourage media outlets to be really aggressive and proactive about fact-checking ads, both for and against Hero, and making sure that they're distinguishing truth from falsehood. Um, the other thing that we can do is really just uh, point to other cities and states that have had these laws on the books for years. Like I mentioned, almost every other major city in Dallas, in uh, Texas, has a law like this. A lot of states across the country have laws like this that have been on the books for many, many years and have enforced them without issue. Um, and I've seen they've actually been really productive in terms of helping fight discrimination. Um, in the one year that HERO has been in place, the majority of the complaints under HERO were not LGBT complaints, they were race and sex discrimination complaints. This is a very broad, very common sense law. So it's important to remind people of that. It's important, especially in places like Houston, to point to neighboring cities where these laws are in place and say, Look, if something, if the sky was really gonna, if the stars were gonna fall out of the sky, it should have already happened in Dallas. It should already have happened in Plano and San Antonio. Cities that already have these laws in the books, they don't, and it's because the talking points against non-discrimination laws are false and have always been false. And these anti-gay groups, too, like Linda Harvey, know they're false, but they also know that there's a really good way to scare people into not voting. Um, so that right. our job is kind of to combat that and point to history and say, look, if this was ever true, it would have been true already, and it's just not. Right, right. Michelle Miao on the phone with us is Carlos Matza. He's the LGBT program director for Media Matters. And we're talking about a big fight that's coming out uh, out of Houston um, in discussing a, a non-discrimination ordinance bill. So, Carlos, it sounds like then it will go up for a public vote in November. Is that right? 
Yeah, the city council had the option of either voting to repeal it or send it to a public vote. Um, and I think last week, or it might have been two weeks ago now, they voted to send it to a public vote. So today, um, the official campaign, the Save Hero, which is called uh, Houston Unite, had their official formal launch. Um, and they launched their website, and they have a pledge where people can go visit to sign up to defend Hero. But it looks like this is going to be um, a really brutal and very expensive, and unfortunately for LGBT Houston's, a kind of a traumatic uh, public voter campaign for the next few months. You mentioned that you know in the, your article that the uh, the other side, or I guess the, you know the opposition groups and their bloggers and their media have definitely been covering this story. Uh, but what about you know on the other side? So national news organizations, or even um, you know our side, LGBTQ media, and getting the word out about what's happening in Houston. You know, have we covered it extensively? Yeah, so unfortunately, these little these city fights typically don't get that much coverage or not seen as that sexy um, because these fights can be very expensive and traumatic. A lot of national LGBT groups tend to kind of shy away from them or don't really want to get into the nitty-gritty about it. Um, so, so far, national news coverage of it hasn't been that major, despite the fact that Houston is one of the biggest countries or cities in the country who's fighting this kind of law. My hope is that now that sort of the marriage equality thing is no longer an issue we're really debating that much, that We'll get some more national attention to this very basic issue. Um, and the one, the one thing that I pointed out in the in the post that I wrote about this is that the fight in Houston really mirrors what is going to be the national fight for LGBT equality. You mentioned the Equality Act um, earlier in the show, and the Equality Act is basically just a national version of what's happening in Houston. Um, the same talking points that are used against Hero will be used against that law. The same groups that oppose Hero are going to be opposing that law. Um, so my hope is that if national news outlets and national LGBT groups really want to get ahead and be at the beginning of this story about the fight for non-discrimination, they should be looking at cities like Houston that are really hammering this out on the ground um, and using that as kind of a test case for what the national fight will look like probably in the next couple months and certainly in the next few years. Carlos, we're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I'd love to continue our discussion and also explain how this is actually the next big fight for LGBTQ rights. So you'll stay with us? Absolutely. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash Progressive Voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash Progressive Voices. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The inspirational Street Requiem mourns the innocents who've died on the street, but also offers hope for the future to those who are struggling. 
Street Requiem premieres in California on Saturday, August 29, 7pm at Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco and on Sunday, August 30, 2pm at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. Tickets from only $15 are available at streetrequiem.blogspot.com streetrequiem.blogspot.com This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this incredible Wednesday, August 12th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Jack's our producer is in studio. And on the phone with us is Carlos Matza, who's the LGBT program director for Media Matters. And we're discussing the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. There's a huge fight coming out of Houston regarding equal rights, uh, especially LGBT rights. And an interesting story. I mean, the city of Houston has already adopted this bill, but then um, a Texas Supreme Court has uh, overturned it or at least given the city a, a choice between repealing the bill or putting it up for a public vote. So that's what we'll do in November, it sounds like, in Houston. And so, Carlos, you know, right before the break, I said that this actually is an, a, a great example of how it will be the next big fight for the LGBTQ community and movement, right? Yeah, and one of the, the things that Houston really brings out, I think, is that when we're talking about uh, same-sex marriage and marriage, the fight for marriage equality for the past, you know, it feels like forever, but for certainly for the past decade, that's been the center of our focus as an LGBT community. Um, and that's been obviously a very successful campaign, but um, has allowed us to sidestep some of the more difficult um, realities that face LGBT people. Um, non-discrimination issues and non-discrimination laws like HERO really are very important in terms of improving the material conditions of an LGBT person's life. Um, and that's probably the common meme that you hear is that after marriage equality, Someone can get married on Sunday to their same-sex partner and then get fired from their jobs on Monday, get kicked out of their homes on Tuesday, and then kicked out of a restaurant or hotel on Wednesday Ugh. because they're LGBT without non-discrimination laws. And that's the reality, unfortunately, right. for a lot of people in this country. Um, and one of the things that Hero brings up that I think is really important in terms of how we think about LGBT peers is that um, Hero is obviously a trans-inclusive uh, policy. It says you can't discriminate based on gender identity, um, which is great. The problem is that opponents have been very successful in using the, tr- the trans-inclusive part of HERO as a weapon to defeat non-discrimination laws. So if you look at anti-HERO ads so far, and this has been true for decades of all um, campaigns against non-discrimination laws, that this idea of trans people being predators or being deviant or being dangerous has been super, super effective in, tr- in defeating LGBT protect- protection laws and mobilizing voters to oppose protections to LGBT people. So what HERO does, and what I think more broadly the non-discrimination fight does, is pose a challenge to LGBT groups about how can we get better about talking about trans issues? How can, we, how can we get better in terms of messaging? How can we get better in terms of educating the public about the need for trans protection? Um, how can we get better about normalizing the trans experience to uh, a public that, for most in most cases, probably doesn't know a trans person, probably has never seen a trans person, Right. Um, probably only know the trans person through Caitlyn Jenner at this point. Um, that's <laughs> a big challenge, and it's one that we haven't had to take on 
when we were doing the marriage fight. Um, and it can be scary for a lot of groups to learn how to talk about it, but I personally think it's actually a tremendous opportunity for LGBT organizations to kind of to, to walk the walk and really prove that when we say we're trans-inclusive, we mean it, and we're going to take up trans protections as an integral part of the non-discrimination fight. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the big evolutions in LGBT activism we're probably going to feel over the next few years. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I wanted to bring this up, too. You know, Houston, I think you mentioned earlier, it's like uh, the fourth largest city in the entire country, but also one of the cities that has the most lowest voter turnout. And so at this point, if it's going to go up for a popular vote in November, the you know we've we've got to turn voters out, especially new progressive voters, hopefully maybe younger voters. I mean, you know what 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 kind of efforts are out there to to get the voter turnouts? I think that I read another article that you know even Beyonce could could make things happen for Houston. Yeah, so that actually so two Mondays ago I wrote this article for the Huffington Post that just I made this point. It was a, a, something I did in my own time. It wasn't even for work. But I just made this point that. You know, Beyonce is like the most famous Houstonian in the world and has millions of Instagram followers that, and, and is a supporter of LGBT equality. If she did one Instagram post saying, you know, support hero, vote for hero, it would be like a game changer for that election. Like the, the amount of young voters who came out and support hero in an election would be, it would be a done deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually since that's happened, there's been this big national campaign um, with the hashtag Bay be a hero asking her to support um, hero. And I think, now, regardless of what Beyonce does, like I obviously really hope she comes out in support of it. I think she will. Um, it's been great in terms of getting Hero into the national discussion and getting uh, Nico Wright's fight the kind of the pop culture spin it needs to be something that's interesting to young voters. The thing is that if you if young voters actually turned out, laws like Hero would survive by really wide margins. Like I said, most people support this kind of law, and certainly younger people who probably know an LGBT person or probably are friends with LGBT people. The idea that they shouldn't be protected from discrimination is like bonkers to them. It's not even a question. And if they actually came out to vote, it would be a done deal. The thing is that in Houston and in most places across the country, little fights like this, little like these voter uh, initiatives don't get a ton of turnout, don't get a ton of attention. The people who do vote are usually much older. Um, they tend to be motivated by really ideological forces. So it's like the people who sign up for them, the Harvey's mailers. Those people are the kind of people who vote. Um, and they typically vote against these kinds of protections. Um, and like I said earlier, the, the negative campaigning that we're going to see in Houston over the next few months is going to be really good at scaring even LGBT-friendly voters to being unsure enough that they want to stay home and not vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's tremendously important that we sort of convince people that this really is a basic question of fairness. This is a basic question of values. Should your friend or neighbor be refused service or kicked out of their home or refused the job because of who they are or who they love? Um, and most people would say no, and it's important to stress that that's really what's on the line here. It's not a boring legal debate. It's not a boring local election. It's a question of can your person, can your friend be refused service without legal recourse? And I think that once people start recognizing how much is on the line, um, that it'll be difficult for them to stay at home knowing that staying home could very well mean that their friends and neighbors um, and family members are treated to discriminatory practices that in most big cities of the country have been illegal for a very long time. 
Great point. So I guess, you know, until uh, Beyonce does something with her Instagram or her Twitter or, or get into the fight or become a hero, it sounds like for, for the rest of us, even if you're not in Houston or you don't live in Houston, I mean, we could uh, potentially, you know, notify all of our friends and let people know that if they, they do know people in Houston or they have connections to organizations or people in Houston to, to get them to go out and vote and, and vote for the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, right? Yeah, the margin's going to be really, really tight. And most people don't realize that the vote is happening. They don't realize that all the work they've done to secure this ordinance for the past couple of years could be lost in one fell swoop. So I think right now the priority is just awareness raising, that this really is the beginning of the next phase of the LGBT, the fight for LGBT equality. And it would be really, really great if we started with a W after the marriage equality decision. It would just be really great news for everybody involved. Right. Well, I'll join in on that and put some pressure on Beyonce here, or, or Bay, as, as, as she's referred to in the hashtag. And uh, we've just got a few minutes here, but I do want to spend some time talking about Media Matters. I, I think, you know, it's one of my favorite organizations um, when it comes to media. It's one of the organizations that actually, you know, has a strategy or, or a campaign um, against some of those who abuse the media, like, you know, people like Linda Harvey that we mentioned earlier. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, just the, the efforts of media? Media matters, and why? Why an organization like yours? Um, yeah, why it matters? Yeah, happily. Um, all we do basically is try to encourage better media coverage of LGBT issues. So that involves two things. One is like we talked about earlier, just kind of debunking the BS that's out there about LGBT people. Um, so much of media coverage of LGBT equality gets bogged down in just misinformation and lies, and people who can't correct lies when they see them and journalists who are afraid to correct misinformation because they don't want to be seen as biased. So one of the things that we do is just encourage, give them the tools and research and evidence they need to feel confident saying, no, this bathroom thing is a lie. No, this religious freedom thing is a lie. And we know it's a lie because of all this evidence. Um, that for us is a huge priority, just giving people the confidence they need to be real journalists and to do the kind of reporting and investigation that you need to get voters informed about what's happening about the fact of LGBT quality. And the second thing we do is just try to encourage people to stop hosting extremists who have no business being on TV or national news media, um, but are invited on just out of laziness because they want someone to represent the anti-LGBT side. It is nuts that we are still talking about Linda Harvey because she is so, so fringy and so out there and uh -huh. so extreme in her viewpoint. But unfortunately, we have to talk about her because she's in the media all the time. People like Tony Perkins are in the media all the time. They get interviewed and treated like serious people. So some, a part of the work that we do is just telling media outlets, you don't have to do that. There's a better way. If the only person you can bring on to close LGBT equality is somebody who thinks that gay people are pedophiles or monsters, then maybe don't have that side on. It's okay. You don't invite racists on TV. You don't invite anti-Semites on TV. You don't need to have a homophobe on TV every single time you talk about equality. Um, so that's one of our priorities, is just encouraging outlets to feel more comfortable treating LGBT equality as not necessarily a debate anymore, but just as a civil rights struggle, the same way you would treat any other marginalized group fighting for, for basic legal protections at this point. Last question for you, Carlos. I feel like, uh, you know, the uh, conservatives and, and the fringe kind of people uh, that you've mentioned, you know, they've made up this name uh, calling, the, you know, liberal media the Gestapo or, or you know, something like that, that they think mm -hmm. that there's like conspiracy or, you know, this is all a strategy to change people's minds. And, and, and you know, how do, how do you, as far as being with me, Media Matters, how do you respond to something? 
something like that. Like, this is not a conspiracy. Like, these are, you know, this is the progression of American values, in, in my opinion. What are your thoughts? Yeah, the way I would respond is just by saying that that talking point or that conspiracy theory has been said about uh, by opponents of equality throughout history, and not just LGBT equality, but, you know, there, I can bet you there were a lot of um, people during the Civil Rights era who were complaining about uh, pro-racial equality reporting and pro-racial equality journalism. There were probably a lot of pretty extreme uh, sexists who were complaining about the soft hand that the media is giving to uh, the white for the, the white for female or for you know sexual equality. Uh, that kind of the trope of there's a conspiracy theory has been used by the losers of civil rights battles since the beginning of time. Um, so I'm very happy and encouraged that I'm a part of LGBT equality are also feeling like they. Um, are kind of losing the game, and that the game is becoming rigged against them because that's how progression works. We get to a point where even media would say, all right, this is really not a controversy anymore. It's irresponsible to have bigots on just for the sake of having bigots on. Um, it's happened in every civil rights struggle throughout history. There are a lot of media outlets who didn't get on board with things like integration and racial equality and held out, and they ended up looking really, really bad in retrospect. Um, so our job is to make sure that news outlets don't do that same thing when it comes to LGBT equality and just reminding them that part of being human is recognizing and being open to the idea of progress and being inclusive. Um, and it's always a good thing when a media outlet um, or a reporter or a journalist says, eh, I feel uncomfortable reporting on the bigoted side. I'm just going to put my hat on with uh, treat people like you'd want to be treated side. Um, that's always good. So that's a conspiracy theory. Um, or that's part of being part of the Gay Gestapo. I'm a proud, card-carrying member of the Gay Gestapo then. <laughs> you got it. Carlos, thank you so much for being on our program today, and thank you for all that you do, especially with Media Matters. Anytime. Thanks for having me. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. We'll talk about transgender rights with uh, a member from the Transgender Law Center, so don't go away. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. The inspirational street requiem mourns those we've lost on the street but also encourages hope for people and communities struggling with homelessness, poverty, war, hate crime, and street violence. Performances of this wonderful new work by Australian composers Kathleen Maguire, Andy Payne and Jonathan Welch will benefit Welcome Ministries Singers of the Street Homeless Choir.
opera superstar Frederico von Stade will join with choir and orchestra in the California premieres of Street Requiem, conducted by Dr. Kathleen McGuire, on Saturday, August 29, 7pm, at Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco, and on Sunday, August 30, 2pm, at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. from only $15 are available at streetrequiem.blogspot.com That's streetrequiem.blogspot.com And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this hump day. Wednesday, August 12th, I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Jax, our producer, is in studio. Our next guest is a program director for the Transgender Law Center, Issa Noyola. Issa, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Thank you for taking time uh, today to be with us. There's so much that I'd love to cover with you. Let's start, you know, by talking a little bit about your work. I know that you have a focus on immigration, especially in the trans community, right? Yeah, um, so both at Transgender Law Center and then kind of the work that I've started to engage within, within the trans-Latina immigrant community, um, and a lot of my work has been locally based for many years at El Apara Trans-Latinas, um, and now at Transgender Law Center, it is uh, on a more national scope and how to uplift the voices of trans, immigrant, and undocumented women in terms of the strategy and building the leadership and capacity of our communities. Um, because so often I think as trans, as a trans community, and then more in particular within this issue of trans and immigration and trans women in detention, our trans folks have been just primarily used as spokespeople mm. um, to share their story. And I mean, I think that that's a start. Um, but I also think that um, the resilience and sort of the lived experience and wisdom that lives within our community also needs to be explored, also needs to be supported. Um, and so a lot of my efforts has been both to hold the immigrant rights community accountable um, and also support them and ha- get, get them connected to folks that can um, help mobilize and, and build their leadership. So Wonderful. Now, now, back in June, which is, you know, Pride Month, uh, Genese Gutierrez, who's a trans activist, but also an undocumented um, trans woman, interrupted the president's speech, President Obama, during a pride gathering at the White House. And many people in the community had criticized her for that. But you were, were one of the outspoken activists who defended what she did. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I mean, so Genesette has, is a prime example of sort of a lot of the work and mobilization that's been happening around trans leadership and trans, and, and in particular, and trans undocumented women. And, you know, I think that there are folks fail to realize how um, a lot of the conversations prior to Genesette's sort of um, interruption, that there's been advocacy and sort of these appropriate and polite spaces that have been that advocates and lawyers and organizations have been engaged in with ICE. Um, and so to understand that what what drove Genesette to really voice 
the community sort of, um, you know, uh, the the issues and sort of the sense of urgency in that moment was very um, was very necessary and it was a critical piece that had not happened within the immigrant rights movement and within um, trans communities. It was the first time that we've ever seen a trans person interrupt a president, um, and it was the first time that a trans woman was her voice was centered in the conversation of immigrant rights, and so um, it was it was it was a very um, it wasn't sort of as as folks wanted to kind of suggest that you know it, you know there's a time and space for everything and I don't think people realize that those times and spaces have uh, had already happened with little to no response right. from the administration um, and it really took Genesis to kind of break that open um, and for advocates and other and and for herself to continue in her advocacy and since then she's been engaging. Um, with media and with the public and with the community um, around this issue. And um, she's now speaking in many locations and schools and, and communities and really uplifting the voice of trans undocumented Latinas. Now, I mean, I, I love that we're having this conversation because I feel like we don't talk about it enough. And, and in our community, it just seems like after, you know, we've won the fight regarding marriage equality, there's all this talk about, you know, full federal equality, but we don't talk about, you know, immigration uh, for, for some reason. And, and so I wanted to, you know, have you explain to especially listeners here in the Progressive Voices Network, uh, how dire the situation is and what actually is happening to undocumented trans uh, immigrants here in this country. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the violence, I think, that um, has been uplifted within the last, I would say, year, two years, um, is one that um, also mirrors sort of the violence that is happening outside of detention. Um, and really kind of un- unearthing sort of the ways in which ICE and immigration um, are, are, are really, um, like really unearthing sort of the transphobia and unearthing the trans, um, transphobic conditions that trans folks are experiencing inside detention centers, which have led, you know, you know, to really violent and brutal sort of sexual assaults. Uh, we know that one in three trans people within the first 12 months of being in, in, in detention will experience sexual violence. Um, one in five trans people um, experience also, um, in the whole experience, experience sexual violence. Um, and we know that there's only, from the data that, that has been somewhat kind of put together in piecemeal, there's um, one in 500 trans folks inside, det- one in 500 trans folks um, in, are, are, are inside detention centers. So for every 500 immigrants inside detention, one person is, is um, trans. Um, and that data is not very um, accurate. We, we actually, we believe that there is more um, because ICE doesn't actually actively, uh, up until now, um, c- collect that data. Um, and then in June as well, after Genesis interruption, um, ICE released uh, these guidelines which are calling for data collection and sort of acknowledging uh, trans communities in terms of how they process folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've had extreme cases of, of um, Victoria Arellano in 2007 was kind of the first national story that broke um, and her brutal death inside ICE custody where she was handcuffed to her bed and refused and denied medical treatment. Um, 
And, you know, a lot, you'd, had it not been for some of the a- activists and, and, and her friends inside detention, we would never have heard of her story. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of the activism and a lot of the issue has been to engage um, people to understand that there are trans folks and to really um, seek them out when they're in, you know, in these visitation programs that are around the country and to really uh, understand how, that, how they're experiencing transphobia on a daily basis. From you know being misgendered to um, being placed in solitary confinement because trans folks are, are are advocating for themselves and so ICE is in in response ICE is placing them in solitary for months on end you know for quote unquote their own safety um, which is you know we that's like actually not, you know not being in solitary confinement is is very violent and causes sort of a lot of mental. Um, a lot of stress and a lot of sort of long-term mental health issues. Right. You're listening to the Michelle Miao Show, and on the phone with us is Issa Noyola, who is with the Transgender Law Center and is a program director, and we're talking about uh, undocumented trans people uh, and and also immigration in the trans community and and the importance and the dire need for us to continue the dialogue. you know, Issa, I, I wonder, just maybe personally for you, but your thoughts on President Obama and his track record for immigration. I mean, one can say that he's done much. Uh, he's tried to reform immigration here in this country, but that may not be enough. I mean, what do you think about his report card on immigration? You know, we know that there's been, under the administration, uh, President Obama's administration, we've had record number of deportations, record number of uh, facilities being built under his watch, and um, you know, place, uh, large, you know, our communities being placed inside detention. Um, families, mothers, pregnant m- women, um, and our LGBT communities. Um, and so, it's it's been really interesting because leading up to sort of um, the you know the first sort of, uh, President Obama's first. Um, in his first administration, there was sort of all these promises that we've yet to see. We've yet to, we've really yet to see sort of him deliver and the administration deliver on these promises around immigration reform. And in a lot of ways, the, the conversation on reform um, has, has backfired for a lot of those advocates. Um, and I think that we as a community um, have to think about sort of the broader vision of what we're really fighting for, right? And so under the um, TLC and various LGBT organizations and, and many organizations across this country under the Not One More campaign um, have really, like, fought to really and think strategically of how are we messaging sort of the broader issues and the broader ways in which we can advocate for our communities um, in terms of ending mass incarceration, in terms of um, being in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, in terms of also, you know, having sort of this stance around ending all detention and, um, and bring all of our folks inside detention centers um, and, and calling to an end to all deportations. Um, because we understand that the United States has had sort of, you know, the conditions and, and reasons why a lot of folks are, are coming to this country um, has to do with sort of the U.S.'s involvement in those countries. Um, and their sort of role in, in creating violence and um, in, instability in, 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 in the countries of, of where a lot of folks and a lot of our family members are coming from. Right. 
Right. I want to turn our attention very quickly. Um, and, you know, this morning on my drive to the studio, I was listening to Forum with Michael Krasny on KQED. And a colleague of yours, Flora Bermudez, was on the show. Yeah. And they were talking about, you know, healthcare. And so I meant you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, trans women in detention don't have access to the medical care that they need. And in fact, you know, one trans woman was, was has died in in right. ICE custody because she didn't have access to medical care. Um, and it, they were specifically more talking about uh, gender reassignment surgery and taxpayer money. But I wanted to get your thoughts about, you know, access to healthcare and why this is so important. And you know, there was a comment made from a caller who, you know, kind of made them an ignorant comment that, you know, trans uh, people should not get themselves landed in jail to begin with. But this is a great example of how, you know, the most vulnerable of our community find themselves in uh, difficult situations, especially immigration that can land a trans woman in uh, detention, right? Right. And so, I mean, that... I, that comment was made without really knowledge of, of the conditions and context of what trans folks are facing in our society outside of detention, outside of prisons. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that trans people, trans women of color, um, trans people of color face the highest rates of unemployment, face the highest rates of discrimination for housing, face the highest rates to, um, in the educational, higher educational context um, and dropout rates. Um, and across the board around every single issue that when you think about what, um, when you look at a, a sort of the issues of what, what um, and access to resources um, that people need to engage in, in productive and healthy lives, um, trans folks bear the brunt of sort of not being able to access all of these resources and are left in, in really like dire conditions um, where folks are having to make difficult choices around needing to survive and needing to access street-based economies in order to really be able to get transition-related health care, to be able to access hormones and, and, and medical treatment. Um, that that in, in a lot of ways, um, our communities, even folks that are documented are not, and, and you have health insurance, are not able to get this, these like basic needs in mm-hmm. order to be able to live their authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... The, the, I, I think that when we fail to realize um, the systemic root of what's causing the criminalization and what's causing sort of the, the targeting of our trans people in many states, um, you know, the, there's a lot of policies and laws in many states that are, are actively profiling and, and discriminating against trans people just for walking, like walking down the street. Right. If they are, if they are, um, if there's some, some sort of suspicion or, you know, they're, they're called manifestation laws. If, if, if folks are, a, there's a presumption of some sort of sex work or, or whatever there is um, of why they're hanging out in the street, you know, they're immediately criminalized. And a lot of folks have been placed in jail for long periods of time because of that. You just need probable cause uh, right. if you watch True Detective. Um, I've enjoyed having you on this program. I've got one last question for you as we, we've got to go, but we definitely will have you on again, Isa. Uh, thank you so much. Um, but, you know, kind of uh, what are your your thoughts on this? And you mentioned um, on your opinions piece in The Advocate about, yeah, it's great that, you know, we've got Janet Mock and we've got, uh, you know, Laverne Cox and now Caitlyn Jenner that are 
they're kind of exposing trans lives and giving a face for transgender people. People are talking about it, but it sounds like we really need to turn the uh, tide here and do the education part because if people don't understand trans issues, they'll continue to think that, you know, the, I feel like, you know, the, uh, the ignorant comments and things like that will just kind of always be there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think that at the roots that there's, um, there, there have been mobilizations, and I think that it's time for larger, um, well-resourced organizations and leaders to really um, search and intentionally partner with um, trans people that have been doing this work, that have been engaged and have been in survival mode. Um, we have many here in the Bay Area, TGIJP, El Aparato Trans Drive. These are all organizations and examples of organizations nationally that have, have existed in the Bay Area that have been very under-resourced and underfunded. And, um, and I think now we are starting to see sort of the, the consequence of what it means when we are not putting in our action, our, our solidarity and our allyship, when we are not, when we are just retweeting or, or, or creating hashtags, and that's the extent of our allyship and solidarity. I mean, this week alone, we've had Amber Monroe, and today we got news of another um, black trans woman um, who who've been who've been murdered and mm-hmm. you know Miss her name was Miss Shade Schuler from Texas she was only 22 years old <sighs> um, and so we th- this is a consequence right when we are not putting in action the solidarity and um, the allyship and I think that there's it's just a matter of seeking being intentional and really partnering and listening to trans people who have been doing this work because there are and there are people across in many states that. Um, can can you know can help to bring sort of the the broader context and the local issues that that are being that folks are being impacted by. Issa, thank you again for joining us here on this program and spending some time with us. Thank you. Issa Noyola, who's the program director for the Transgender Law Center, uh, please support the Transgender Law Center. The work that they do definitely impacts uh, the trans community directly. And do your part. Go and Google, do some education, do some reading. I think it's extremely important for you to understand transgender issues, and it'll make you a better person today, right now. (laughs) Don't go away. When we come back, Jax and I will close out the show. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boys came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. 
Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program today, August 12th. Uh, talked about some real big issues here, of, of course, surrounding the trans uh, community. You know, I mentioned that you know, on my drive here, I was listening to Forum, uh, which airs on KQED or public uh, radio and hosted by Michael Krasny here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And the topic was about, um, you know, the trans community, but gender reassignment surgery uh, to those incarcerated. And California has passed a law that um, the state pays for it. Taxpayers pay for gender reassignment surgery. And uh, it was very controversial. Um, And, you know, for me, being a part of the community, it was very hard to hear the comments with some people who absolutely don't think that taxpayers should pay for gender reassignment surgery uh, because they, you know, we have priorities in other uh, places. I think a gentleman had said, you know, he'd rather pay for uh, kids with cancer uh, before paying for gender reassignment surgery. Um, But I think it's very important, you know, that we discuss this topic and talk about uh, transgender issues because it gives you a better understanding of the, the community and the issues that they face. And and also, you know, if you understand gender dysphoria, then you know that it's a medical condition. And if all people here in this country are afforded health care and should be given the right to basic care, then you would understand that trans people, including those who are in prison, should be uh, afforded that same right. What do you think, Jax? I think that's what it comes down to is whether people believe and this is on them believing and not you know, when it's science and it's a fact about gender dysphoria. For example, we had a guest who didn't believe that transgender people were real, like Mm -hmm. that he believed they just needed um, mental help and that it was just mentally they could get over it. Right. So I think that's really what it comes down to is this confusion. It's either misunderstanding or just denial of this... Thing that other people experience and you don't yeah. and it's, it comes down to the not being able to relate to people yeah and then also you know extending that to class issues i mean obviously um uh, people uh, with different class and 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 money you know especially if you have more money some some in this country at least uh, we've experienced that people think that you know how they spend their money how they give back they should uh, have some control over it um but you know as far as like social programs goes and uh, where the country should spend you know spend money in in care um again you know it's a basic right and then i'll move on to the equality act i mean we talked about it a little bit uh earlier this week uh but i absolutely agree with carlos that this is the next big fight the next big fight is you know uh, that's great that we can get married but if we can be fired from our jobs kicked out of our homes or kicked out of a restaurant or lose our homes it's a scary thing now i'm like i don't want to get married (laughs) 
I think we're all expecting this, you know, once we are throwing our hats in the air, celebrating our marriage equality, well, the hat comes down. We're like, okay, well, now it's going to be backlash and these type of bills are going to be popping up. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Houston's one example. I mean, I I was kind of sad to hear that, you know, the national LGBT orgs haven't really gone in there to do much. And, you know, it just we've maybe we've just not mobilized fast enough or quickly enough after winning marriage equality. But, uh, you know, I I really think that that's uh, our next attention. So I feel like for everyone here who's tuning in to Progressive Voices and who tunes into this show, I mean, put it out on your Facebook. Even if you don't know anyone, I don't know, tag Houston organizations and businesses or something and let people know to get out the vote and vote for the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. Do you think Beyonce could sway people? Yes. I do. You think that people who would already be against it would be swayed by a celebrity? A pop star? (laughs) I mean, she's, I mean, I bow down to her. She's a goddess. And I'd be pretty stoked if she was from my hometown. But I feel like if I was already against something, I wouldn't be swayed. I think she should come out in in support, of course, but I don't know if that would really change people's minds. I, I, you know what I think is that she may not be able to change minds, but she would be able to turn out new voters. And, um, you know, she made a trip down out to her hometown, which wouldn't be hard for her to do. Yes. She would be able to do something like, you know, I don't know what they did years ago, rock the vote or, or something like that and come out and vote. Um, because that's that's the chance that Houston has to pass this ordinance is if they get new voters. As you heard from Carlos, it's like, you know, the, it's the lowest voter turnout, even though it's the fourth largest city in the country. And most of those voters are older. Um, which seems to Maybe be, not you know, Beyonce fans. no, no. Yeah. She would be able to turn out younger voters, um, you know, and, uh, more progressive, like-minded, but also, uh, probably, yeah, a whole new different crowd of voters for Houston. So if Beyonce's listening to this program, <laughs> hashtag bay be a hero. <laughs> also, I love you if you're listening. Yes. Right, 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 right. Well, it's been wonderful here uh, with the program. Um, Jax, you know, it's halfway there. I think tomorrow we've got a pro- program for you. Uh, we actually have a pretty good show. We did an interview with uh, Eric Sherman, who wrote the biography for uh, Glenn Burke, who is the first, you know, out baseball player, pro baseball player. He played for the Dodgers and then got traded to the Oakland A's after his managers, or at the time, Tommy Lasorda, uh, had an issue with him being gay. Uh, Quite a fascinating story if you don't know the story of Glenn Burke. Um, So we're going to play that interview. And so you make sure you tune in at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook. And I'm trying to you know, do all these things that young people do. Am I doing a better job at it, Jax? Let's step up your hashtag game. Oh, my hashtag game. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Can you remind me again what hashtags do? So people can search a tag, and that's how they can find topics that they're looking for so today's hashtag is uh, obviously we'll follow the hashtag baby a hero yes um we'll we'll do hashtag uh what else hashtag help me. hero hashtag hashtag, <laughs> hashtag woman crush friends wednesday even though it doesn't really apply 
So so this this Beyonce, helps you trend. Beyonce is our woman crush Wednesday. Oh, great idea. Great idea. Social media geniuses back there. <laughs> these kids, you know. <laughs> oh man. Um Please have a great evening. Enjoy a glass of wine, even though it's the middle of the week, or do something that uh, relaxes you, uh, maybe a cup of tea. I think that uh, that helps us get through the week for sure. So happy hump day. Enjoy your evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. You can catch the Michelle Miao Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network. Tune into the Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.